Corrie ten Boom, Jewish, famous Jewish Christian, spent much of World War II in Ravensbrück concentration camp, said, you never so touch the ocean of God's love as when you forgive and love your enemies. It's a poignant thing, particularly from someone who knew that forgiveness is not easy. After the war, as perhaps many know, she travelled across Europe speaking of God's forgiveness. And on one night in Munich in 1947, the end of the meeting, a man came to greet her. He didn't recognise her, but she instantly recognised him. And she recalls, it came back with a rush, the huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the centre of the floor, the shame of walking naked past that man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin, the place she died. He spoke to her. You mentioned Raven's book, he said. I, I was a guard there. But since that time, I've become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for those awful things. But Fraulein, will you forgive me? He held out his hand. What would you do? What would I do? If, as Elton John sang, sorry is the hardest word, sometimes actually forgiven is even harder, isn't it? And yet that is what the scriptures teach us. In our text this morning, Ephesians 4.32, the Bible says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. And the kind of parallel to that when he wrote to the church at Colossae, he said, similarly, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. The question of forgiveness raises many questions, doesn't it, in our minds. What does it mean to forgive why is it so hard to forgive? Maybe even as you hear that word forgiveness, immediately you think of a situation that you're struggling with. Maybe you've struggled with for many years. And you hear the message of forgiveness and you think that's all very well for you to say. But if you knew what I'm going through, if you knew that situation, if you knew that grief, if you knew that pain, you wouldn't speak that so easily. What does it mean to forgive? It's very striking, of course, that Paul assumes the need to forgive one another. What does that tell us? What does that tell us about church? What that tells us about church is that church is a place of sinners, right? Saved sinners by the grace of God, but we're still sinners. And therefore, we are likely uh, in church family life to offend one another, to hurt one another, to let one another down. And therefore, the need comes to forgive one another. And that's not going to be easy because we're not perfect. But how are we to respond? Well, this whole letter that Paul is writing to the church at, at Ephesus is a, a church that is clearly a church divided. So much of the theme, actually, for many of the letters is, that, is, that, is on the theme of unity. Uh, and Paul writes to this church and he reminds them of the gospel. And he says, look at what God's done for you in the gospel. He's reconciled you together. He's made you one. 
And therefore now put on those clothes. In this uh, fourth chapter of Ephesians, he uses that image just like he does in, in, in Colossians. Now, now God's made you a Christian. Now what are the clothes you need? The dirty clothes. Take those one and off and put on the clean clothes. What are these holy clothes, these heavenly clothes of love? What is that going to look like as you live uh, as those whom God has raised from the dead, those whom God has reconciled together? Uh, how's that going to shape your life? And, and it's all, of course, captured in one word, love. And what does love mean? Well, one thing it means is forgive. But what does that mean? And when should we forgive? Does the Bible teach that we should forgive unconditionally? What about if someone isn't sorry? Widow of uh, Philip Lawrence, who was stabbed to death outside his school in Maidvale, West London said, when Philip died, everyone assumed I had forgiven. I cannot tell you anything about forgiveness. What do you say to that? Is that right? The Filipino gang responsible have never shown any remorse. In fact, the the guy that was convicted for years denied it. Of course, as Christians, uh, we have a unique angle. And forgiven is not just a word that we say... It is firstly the word that makes us Christians, isn't it? Forgiven is the word that makes us Christians. And that's the thrust of this parable, of this passage. Forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. There are many times when uh, I'm told uh, by people who know my dad... You look just like your dad. I'm told many times by people who know my son, your son just looks like you, you know. And that's like it is, isn't it? With family, uh, there's that sense of resemblance. And that's the language here, which is why Paul then goes on in Ephesians 5 verse 1. Be imitators therefore as dearly loved children and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering And sacrifice to God. Being the children of God, being those in whom the Spirit of God lives, means that we should resemble our Father. We should look like God. And that's what the Spirit is doing. It's making us like Jesus. It's making us like God. Um, And therefore, one of the things that we're to look for, what is God characterized by? He's a God of astonishing forgiveness. Therefore, we're to imitate him as his dearly loved children. So what does that mean? What does it mean for God to forgive? What does that mean about our forgiveness? Well, it's so helpfully spelled out, isn't it, in this parable in Matthew 18 that's been read to us. And uh, context, of course, is always important. And it's context, actually, of which Jesus is speaking of what happens when someone sins against you. And uh, Peter's been reflecting on that. What happens when someone forgives me? Um, how should I respond? Well, yes, I should forgive them. And what does he say? Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? The rabbis taught the answer was three. You could forgive three times, fourth time? No, that's ridiculous. So Peter's really going out on a limb. He's going on to super spiritual level number four when he's saying, Jesus, I'll go to seven. Wow, seven times. And what does Jesus right back at him says? No, no, not seven times. 
but 77 times, or some translate it 70 times 7. Either way, it makes no difference, because Jesus isn't actually saying, um, get out your phone, and every time you forgive, go, one, two, 75. Oh, I can nearly say no. No, no, the whole point of 77 is just endlessly go on. Seven, of course, a big number in the Bible, perfect. Just keep on going, on and on and on. So how? Well, the first thing again, that we need to look at when we think about forgiving one another is that that is all shaped by our hearing of that word from God. So, first of all, hear God's kindness in forgiving you. Hear God's kindness in forgiving you. This uh, parable in Matthew 18 is so helpful, isn't it, in the way that it pictures our situation. Here is a man who has run up a huge debt, a colossal debt. What does the the story say? Uh, He owes 10,000 talents. One commentary said that 10,000 is the biggest number in New Testament Greek and the talent is the biggest unit of currency in that day. So it's the biggest amount that you could run up. The biggest possible debt, uh, likened uh, in modern era to a billion pounds, is huge. Of course, the idea of a debt is a deliberate picture, isn't it? What's another scripture that comes to mind when we think about forgiving others? It's the Lord's Prayer model, isn't it? What are we to pray? Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are debtors to us. Forgive us our sins as as we forgive those who sin against us. But the word, actually, as you know, is the word debt. That's what our sin is. God deserves and demands a life of love. That's the command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And every time we fail, it's like a debt. There's a a mark in the O column. Every time we lie or steal or cheat or act selfishly or greedily or proudly, every time we put ourselves first, every time we fail to trust Christ, time we turn our back on Jesus, every time we say something unloving, every time we dwell on something lustful or greedy, every time we selfishly want our own way at church, every time we speak unkindly to our spouse, dishonor our parents, don't turn to God in prayer, bend the rules at work, we run up a debt relentlessly. It's a bit like a, I don't know if you have in your office, a swear box, and you owe, but you've just got nothing to put in. And there's just a bigger and bigger debt, a massive, unpayable debt, a huge, crushing debt. That's our sin. And you can't argue with the treatment of the master, can you, of the king Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. You owe me. You've got no means in that country, in that culture. It was legitimate uh, to, to sell him, to get the price, to get some money back. He owed him. He couldn't say, but that's not fair. Because he owed him. And our debts run up an even bigger debt, don't they? 
not just of slavery, but death. The wages of sin is death, the scriptures teach. So what can the servant do? The debt is huge. His ability to repay it is zero. The prospect of slavery is awful. And all he can do is what? Beg. Be patient with me. It's a pathetic cry, isn't it? I will repay. And what do you think as you hear that? No, you won't. Because you can't. Because it's impossible. It's just a plea. He's desperate. What else can he do but simply say, have mercy and beg? Kind of reminds you of that other story that Jesus told in Luke 18. Of the rich man and the, sorry, the Pharisee and the tax collector. And do you remember how the tax collector, his prayer on his bended knee, beating his breast, is simply, God, have mercy on me, the sinner. Literally, that word mercy actually means, God, don't punish me for my sins. Turn your wrath aside. That's what all wrapped into that word. Turn your wrath aside. I deserve to be punished, but please spare me. Have mercy on me, the sinner. And what happens in the story here, in both stories, he goes from home justified in Luke 18. He goes home with a debt cancelled here in Matthew 18. The debt cancelled. If you were a servant watching, what would you think? You would say, that's ridiculous. What a ridiculous thing. Imagine. What, you're going to let him off? What a million pounds, a billion pounds. That's crazy. That's ridiculous. No, that's God. He goes home owing nothing. And though forgiveness cost him nothing it cost the master so much didn't it and that's the picture forgive because God in Christ forgave you why did Philip Lawrence die on that day outside his St. George's school in Maidavale because he went to the aid of one of his students William and Joe who was in trouble with a gang He went in to rescue the boy's life, but it cost him his life. The plaque says he gave his life. It's a little glimpse of what Jesus did, stepping in for us, taking our sin, dying in our place. As we think about the question of forgiveness, the first thing we need to ask ourselves is, have we forgotten the kindness of God in forgiving us? Have we forgotten the size of the debt have you ever had one of those moments where you received a bill and you open it and you go, how much? You didn't realize you'd spent all that money on holiday. It's usually holiday with me. And you get back and you went, God, I didn't realize all those euros added up to that many pounds. How much? Or a mobile phone bill, maybe, for some of the younger ones. Whoa, that much? The debt that we run up with God and yet God wipes it at the cross. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our sins from us. When we struggle to forgive, we need to stand, as it were, and look down into the abyss of hell and say, well, if God has forgiven me, if God has spared me, what should I do? Well, secondly, show God's kindness in forgiving others. The first point, hear God's kindness in forgiving you. Secondly, show God's kindness 
in forgiving others. You see, it's against that backdrop that the servant's actions is so utterly shocking. His friend only owed him a few quid. A few hundred at worst. But what does he do? He grabs him, he throttles him, and he won't have mercy on him. And right there is a picture of unforgiveness. Because what is forgiveness? Forgiveness is letting go. It's showing mercy. It's wiping the slate clean. It's saying, I won't keep raising it. I won't keep putting it in your mind or my mind. I'm not going to hold it over your head. I'm not going to seek revenge or payback or carry a grudge. I'm letting it go. You see, this guy, in a sense, he, he wants to have power over his friends. He wants to keep him in his debt. He wants to keep reminding him. He wants to stand over him. He wants to make him suffer. He wants to make him sweat. He wants him to know that he owes it. And that's very tempting, isn't it, when someone sins against us. We want them to know. We want them to keep remembering. We want them to know that it was bad. We want them to remember how much it hurts. And we think, oh, well, I've got the right, haven't I? I've got the right. You did to me. I just need to keep reminding you. In 2005, Mary Foley's 15-year-old daughter Charlotte was murdered at a birthday party in East London. And following February, an 18-year-old girl was jailed for life. A few months later, she, the girl that was convicted, wrote to say sorry. To say that it was a moment of madness and she hadn't meant to kill her. Mary Foley wrote back saying she had forgiven her. She comments, some people tell me I'm brave and strong. Others are disgusted and say I have betrayed my daughter's memory. But two weeks after Charlotte's death, God gave me the grace and strength to forgive. And I know that if I hadn't, anger and bitterness would have turned me into a horrible person. You see, let's be clear, forgiveness is not saying it doesn't matter. Forgiveness is not saying it didn't hurt. Forgiveness is not saying there aren't consequences. It was right that that girl went to prison. There was consequences. If someone betrays you, you can forgive them, but it might still damage the relationship. But nonetheless, forgiveness is choosing to wipe the slate. It's showing mercy. It's just one thing that's helpful to point out, though. And that is that the Bible does not teach forgiveness without a sorry. The Matthew's 18 context is, is very helpful here. What is the context? Well, what comes before it? Well, the parable of the lost sheep. What's the, that one all about? It's actually the real... When we teach the prodigal son piece about the backsliding Christian, actually, I don't think Luke 15 is about the backsliding Christian, but Matthew 18 definitely is. Here you've got a backsliding Christian who's gone astray, who's, who's gone away. What are you to do? Jesus says, you go after them. You relentlessly pursue them. You track them down. And then he gives them in the next chunk, this is how you do it. You go to them. If they've sinned against you, Matthew 18, verse 15, show them their faults just between the two of you. Make them listen. Win them over. So what? So that they say sorry and come back. The whole language of Matthew 18 is all about seeking repentance. It's the passage we often use about church discipline. What's that about? It's about bringing people to repentance. Why? So that they can enjoy God's forgiveness. And the expression of our forgiveness in, in reconciliation. It's important, I think, to get this. You see, 
God forgives us when we ask, doesn't he? It's not automatic. And we forgive when people ask. But it's striking, of course, Jesus says we're not to wait, we're to go to them. We could do all we can and we should have that attitude of forgiveness like God who is ready and hopeful and waiting as it were. Now we're not to be bitter, but we're to be kind, looking forward to forgiving. And what can help us? Well, again, we come back, don't we? To the reminder of God's forgiveness of us. Some years ago, I had the privilege of interviewing John Mosey, whose 19-year-old daughter died on Pan Am Flight 103 over Lockerbie in 1988. And uh, he told how, a couple of days after the tragedy, the ITN news crew came into their home. And uh, hearing they were Christians, said, uh, do you mean that if the terrorists asked, you would forgive them? Came the astonished question. And actually it was John's wife who answered and she said, yes, it's like this, sir. Jesus said that if we want God's forgiveness, then we must be prepared to forgive others. I know how much I need God to forgive me and I daren't play silly games like that. You see, what's the whole point of this parable? The whole point of the parable is see the size of your debt towards God and the size of your debt in relation to others. If you did it as a fraction, it would be a millionth of the size. Small by comparison. It doesn't always feel like that. It doesn't always look like that. But that's what we're to see. That's the perspective that Jesus gives. It can be hard to forgive and to let go when someone has been so thoughtless and so rude. But then again, how much has God had to deal with at our hands, as we sang earlier, in our continued disobedience, our willfulness? How much do we, as Ephesians talks about, grieve the Spirit day by day? And yet he still forgives. So important, isn't it, to forgive, as Matthew 18 teaches, as indeed the Lord's Prayer model teaches, that if we are unwilling to forgive, if we are without mercy, that says something about us. How does the story end? Matthew 18.35 concludes the story, having heard how the, the master brings in the unforgiving servant and he reinstalls the debt and he throws him to the jailers and Jesus says, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your hearts. see, though willing to forgive, this king is also willing to punish. Which shouldn't be a shock, should it? God, who is so compassionate and so merciful, it's understandable that he takes a dim view of those who are utterly devoid of compassion and mercy. Especially, and I think that's the point here, those who claim to have been forgiven. He is a man who says, I've been forgiven, and yet he acts like someone who hasn't. I wonder if Jesus, as so often in the Gospels, has the religious hypocrite in view here. Someone who claims to be so religious and so good. And yet, here's the fruit that that's not actually the case. A willingness to forgive doesn't just fuel bitterness. Perhaps it shows that you've never really repented and known God's forgiveness in the first place. And then the striking language of Jesus warns again. That for those who die unforgiven, 
The picture is, of course, the picture of eternity in hell. It's not about whether we find it easy, but whether we're willing. To finish where we began, how did Corrie Ten Boom... I pushed the wrong button. How did Corrie Ten Boom respond to those memories that came back? She says this, it could have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I ever had to do, for I had to do it, I knew that. And still I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart, Jesus help me, I prayed silently. And so, woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears into our joined hands. I forgive you, my brother, I cried, with all my heart. Have you forgotten? God's forgiveness. Have you ever heard God's word forgiven? Have you ever come to the cross and recognized the size of your debt, of your sin, and simply prayed, no excuses, no ands, no buts. God, have mercy on me, the sinner. And when we see how much we've been forgiven, then even when we are badly offended, we are glad to forgive, to show the mercy that God has shown to us. That's the picture that we see right here in this table, isn't it? Both dimensions are here. The dimension of our relationship with God sorted through the cross. The bread and the wine that say to us at the cross, as you take, as a picture of your faith, you are forgiven. And what is the, it's, a, it's a meal table. It's a table of fellowship, of together saying, and we forgive one another. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you.